Welcome to She Will Not Fall, a podcast and a community dedicated to women who are daring to reimagine, redefine their faith, their gift, their call, and how they present them to the world. I'm your host, Muriel. And as always, it is a privilege and a pleasure to be in this sacred space with you. We are still in season two, y'all, and we are talking liberation. And I am really excited about today's guest. But before I tell you about today's guest, I want to remind you of a couple of things. One, if you haven't already, follow us on Instagram at She Will Not Fall Collective. Again, She Will Not Fall Collective. If you would like to help monetarily with the podcast, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com backslash I am Mariel T. If you would like to give a one-time donation, we welcome that as well. So you can check the show notes for how you can do that. Today, I am really excited to welcome my guest Heidi on the second season of She Will Not Fall. Heidi is a loved woman by God, community, and familia. From the sunny side of West Los Angeles, she writes, she theologizes, and publicly thinks on all things involving faith, justice, and Latina identity. She is currently pursuing her Master's of Divinity at Duke Divinity School and is the writer behind She the Ordinary, an online platform elevating the Latinx voice at their intersections of faith and cultural identity. I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation with Heidi. We talk about the work that she's doing and how liberation has shown up in that, what she hopes to do for future, um, and to help women and others get liberated, but then also what liberation means to her personally and how she defines that. So you already know, sit back, relax, and let's hear this week why Heidi will not fall. All right, welcome back to another episode of She Will Not Fall. I'm really excited to have my guest Heidi here. It is so great to have you on the podcast. So welcome to season two. Thank you. Thank you. So we kind of switched it up this season with our opening question, just to kind of get to know our guests a little bit. And I know this is going to be tough, but <laughs> I'm going to throw it at you. Here we go. Oh. If you, here we go. You ready? All right. If you had to describe yourself as a song title or a book title, what would it be and why? This is a hard question. <laughs> um, but I, I spent some time thinking about it and I think I had to use my imagination a little bit. <laughs> and okay, so let's see, I'm being completely honest, like an open book. Um, I would do a book or song title with the acronyms BBC. Now, I'm going to explain why and what they okay. stand for. <laughs> um, it would be literally the three. Okay. BBC is what stand for Brown Beloved Chaos. <laughs> so, I love that. <laughs> because, okay, Brown, like we'll talk about it a little bit, but that is my identity as a Latina. I, I identify as a Latina. Um, beloved as a loved woman by God. And chaos because I have a literally a very inner chaotic energy to me that maybe a lot of folks don't know but I'm always trying to cover up and um yeah that's probably like the core of like who I am I think 
So yeah. BBC. That is so dope. I love that. We that may Thank actually you, have Mariel. to happen. <laughs> Thank you. I think you have your book title right there. Like maybe, maybe. Never know. So yeah. this season we are talking about liberation. <clears throat> and the cool part is there are women in different um areas who um or just unpacking what liberation means mm-hmm. to them. So I always like to start with the personal perspective of liberation, because I feel yeah. like we all have different perspectives of what liberation is based on our lived experiences. Right. Yeah. So what does liberation mean to you personally? Like, how do you define liberation? Mm, yes. Yeah. That question, I had to definitely reflect on it for myself because I totally get you. We can have all these like academic and different uh, definitions that are like the bigger ones. And, you know, even um, I guess theologically, but for my own journey, for me personally, um, liberation has meant and means me being comfortable in my own skin. It is just as simple as that. It means walking and doing life unbound, um, and who I am, who God created me to be as a woman, as a Latina, as a believer. Um, so whatever that takes, like whatever has challenged that, I've had to undo um, and be able to tell myself I can and am allowed to be comfortable in my own skin <clears throat> fully as who I am. Yeah, that I think, honestly, we're on the same vein. I think for me, it has been settling in my bones, like, you know, mm. and like being really comfortable with that. But I think I was telling some friends, like maybe the other month, I was like, I realized I'm not rediscovering who I am. I'm actually discovering who I am. And so yes. that for me has been a huge part of liberation and, and yes. understanding my authenticity. Yes. Like that. Yes. Yeah, that's been everything and it's been freeing and yeah. of just in some ways, the pandemic, like the isolation <clears throat> mm-hmm. kind of gave me the reflection time that I needed. Like, OK, I'm away from this thing that I thought that I was and mm-hmm. now I'm sitting with myself. And I think that's a huge part of liberation is sitting mm. with yourself to figure mm. out, OK, is am I being what is expected of me or am I being mm-hmm. my full authentic self? So, yes. Yeah. And I love that you said that, that it's not really about um, finding something new, but like going back to who you really are, like, you know, rediscovering that mm-hmm. in that aspect, because I just remember growing up and like feeling so challenged, like by, looking a certain way by thinking a certain way by asking certain questions um and it was I remember the feeling of like kind of you know be feeling like I'm rejected or less than or um just not enough and so that that's why you you really it makes sense and I agree with you and when when you say like you really hit to the core of who you are and you kind of embrace that and and you find freedom in, in that you know so, yeah, yeah, it's it's so to people who are on this in that journey and on that process, I promise it's freeing. It can be a little jarring, too, because you realize that your identity. You again, you have to figure out, OK, was this put on me? Am mm. I doing this because people are expecting this? Mm. 
have mm-hmm. I become a caricature of myself? <laughs> like, who am I? And so you really have to sit with that. So I, I love it. Um, you are a writer. You are a theologian. Mm-hmm. Okay? And how do you see liberation showing up in the work that you do? Yes, so as you yes. as you write, as you um, are, yes, like how, <laughs> how how does liberation come up for you in your work? Yeah, and I I want to say sometimes like it's a little like scary to take that theologian title, but then I have to remember that the people that we least expect have already been theologizing for centuries and ages. Okay, they have already yes. been talking and experiencing God at different levels than what is published and what is centered and then what, than what we think. So even that, like sometimes I kind of shy away from it, but then I'm like, no, let me embrace the fullness of who I am and who, what, what we've been bringing to the table just because it's not been centered. Like, yes. so, but with that said, in, in the work I do and as a writer, um, for me, liberation has looked like having the flourishment of our people of color, of our Latinos in mind and always like at the forefront. So whatever is not engaging in their flourishing, whatever is getting in the way is not liberating, you know, it's not liberating them or or us. But for me, I've I've centered my work on, on kind of this like undoing of whiteness like in in our theologies undoing of whiteness in our constructs of beauty for our latinas and our women um you know and also kind of disassociating or rewiring our culture out of patriarchy and saying you can be accepted fully as you are um dad feel cousin like everybody you can show emotion and for our, our women as well like you don't have to uphold this system um so it's it's been a lot of that kind of that kind of uh i think thinking in mind and rewiring or i guess changing the narrative um in that sense but i also think of like as a as a person who thinks theologically um on a lot of things and intersects it with my faith um i remember reading justo gonzalez uh, he was a theologian, or is a is a like a forefather <laughs> brown theologian, and I remember reading a uh, one of his takes on Luke and salvation, the Gospel of Luke and salvation. He kept saying that many of us think of salvation like as this like one and done like end meet goal, and like we get to go to heaven after we become saved, but he broke it down and and saying salvation especially in the old testament is seen as like a lot of acts like breathed and done like mighty acts of saving um that are in return also liberating so Mm -hmm. god liberating the people from the hands and the might of pharaoh you know um and we just see god's hand again over and over in the book of judges and like all the Old Testament texts uh, really redeeming and, and saving and coming through for the people of Israel. So I think liberation and in the context of like our faith, salvation is also liberation. We can't limit it just for like, oh, one and done like decision in my heart. Like it's 
it's to free us from any power that is pretty much like oppressing us and trying to undo the image of God in us. Um, but yeah, that's, that's some, some of my thinking too, theologically when it comes to, I think, liberation for a collective like group. I love that because, and as you were saying, you were trying to undo um, <clears throat> whiteness, even in theological perspectives and even in how you see yourself. Um, and I don't think I've ever really thought about active salvation. Like, I agree with you. Like, it's always been the one and done. All right, cool. <laughs> but there is a consistency of salvation. And it is when we are oppressed in any kind of way. And when God's mm-hmm. hand moves within our oppression and God's hand can look different as far as using us to knock down those systems of oppression. Um, can we unpack that a little bit? Like, yeah. what are some ways that you see um, God's, act, and I keep saying active salvation because I don't know what else to say because that's the language. Yeah, yeah. But um, active salvation in the ways that we can contribute to knocking down systems of oppression like how how can God move in those ways because I and the reason I'm asking that is because a lot of people really make God just like just supernatural right like everything has to be lightning fire (laughs) like it has to be all of that but I think that oftentimes we play a part in God joining and partnering with us (laughs) in this and of course God's hand um, showing God's power, but we have to do something. So what are some ways mm-hmm. that you've seen that, um, that responsibility that we have within that, um, that process? Yeah. yeah, it definitely takes, I want to, I want to honestly say it, it, it can take a lot of discernment because sometimes we, we don't want to be the, that strong soldier getting sent to like a fire when it's like about a burn us and we're done. Like I've been, at places in my life where I felt the call of God so firmly and it has been also um, a hard place to be at, a hard place to to fight against, you know, and to to just break the mold or to um, challenge like systems um, and stuff like that. So, so it takes a lot of disturbance, I feel. Um, at the same time, I think back to how Jesus kind of modeled us, no violence, um, no, no force. My king, he said God's kingdom would not come by, by force. You know, we, we imagine these like earthly, like dominion and power and through force and the sword. But um, uh, somebody that, that I also admired from our Latino tradition, uh, faith tradition is, Archbishop Oscar Romero, who did not really preach of a violence. He said, unless it's the violence of love, unless it's the violence that leads you to a cross to give up and surrender and love. And I think in terms of of doing this when engaging in oppression, it can be so hard (laughs) because that weight and that giant, right? But it's also like reminding us 
these are these are the powers that we are to engage with right um and the powers that like god the divine is also ahead of us and in, in moving and doing in ways that we cannot imagine um you know um to because in the end god is sovereign god god is god god reigns god is sovereign although we can't understand in the end that that's kind of what keeps us in the fight i feel in justice work um but down here below i think it takes a lot of communal care and i think it takes a lot of engaging in in love and showing a new way so i'm not going to follow this oppressive like system i'm not going to take part in it in fact my resistance is saying there's another way and this is it's the way like engaging in love and in communal care um and yeah i think that's kind of like where where i think of how we can knock down uh systems which is very ironic because it's not like again by force it's not like you know when we when we use like uh knock knocking down system is not how we probably expected but also how did jesus come like <laughs> in a major like he came humbly nobody people would say jesus from nazareth like that is the they would say modern day hood area of one's demo, uh, geographic and so just thinking of all that it's like i think we have to take all that into consideration when it, when it comes to fighting uh systems and oppression um and also being ready to to know like i said when when some of us are a little too wounded or tired to fight and say hey it's okay that's where i think the discernment comes in like it's okay maybe you can engage in another way that's still going to liberate and that's still going to lead people away from that mess you know yes, absolutely yeah i and i think i said this to someone else like I really think a big piece of knocking down systems of oppression is to do what you do and not allow those oppressive systems to silence you. Um, I agree. I don't think it's like us, you know, storming and, you know, all the burning stuff and just like, I don't know, whatever. I don't know if it's that piece of it. I think it is not allowing um, those systems to, um, minimize or strip away truth and you keep doing what you do whatever it is that whatever it is that you do um that you're not allowing that to silence you and i think that that's yes. a critical piece um to that you hit on something but i, I kind of want to go back to that yeah what, what does liberation look like for you as far as communal care communal care yes yeah. so i had to allow others in um my my own times of probably exhaustion or pain and so liberation is is allowing other people to love me even from these places where i felt like i i'm i'm unlovable or mm-hmm. i'm not you know appro- like my best or appropriately like I don't know coming before it. but that's a lie like that's a lie of of that's a lie of the devil that's a lie of of the image of god like that is saying you cannot struggle and that is saying you know like you are also a 
self-sufficient, like disconnected body for the economy or capitalism. But I have had to, in communal care, allow others to come and, and, and be vulnerable and then also create this space for others to come. Because sometimes I feel especially right now, and I was having this, um, this conversation and this thought with a friend and my context, we're seeing a lot of these like hype mega churches coming up, um, you know, and I don't know if it's also probably through the case of Atlanta or other parts of like, uh, of the, yeah, you, you know already where I'm going with it. We're seeing like these, these churches like modeling these um, very business model ways of, of doing ministry, uh, very much like numbers and, you know, all the marketing is on point. Everything is, is like a high production video and case of the church. Um, but it's also exhausting. Like it's also very tiring to our, our people who can come and just want to be themselves but it's like you're just being told to be another thing but it's manifested now in a different in a different picture it may not be how we were how we grew up I grew up in a very legalistic uh background you know a very like strict tradition but let me tell you like the oppression that that we had to endure by being like limited I guess in the way that we thought or theologized or even as women um it was there, but there is also some other oppression going on in these churches that make you think your body can be expendable yes. at the cost of ministry. Okay. Listen. <laughs> Testify. <laughs> uh, it's just been in my heart and I'm like, but but it's like it's it's kind of disguised as this like hype or like up and coming thing of like US Western maybe um maybe <clears throat> you know church culture and it grieves me because i'm seeing some of my own churches that i grew up you know in the hood or churches in other small places brown churches immigrant churches um struggle and now aspire to this model and i'm just thinking like you know if we keep at this at this rate how many bodies are going to be tired how many bodies are going to need more how many bodies are going to are, are going to just want to simply be themselves um, and just be welcomed and literally just live in communal care, in true communal care. Not saying that you have to meet all these 10 steps to be a member or, you know, to like preach the gospel or something. Um, so for me, communal care has also looked like how to create spaces um, that are just for liber like a liberating gospel and no yeah. other no other gospel fluffed up or uh, nothing that's added up to make it look pretty or like I don't know I, I just know there's a lot going on there yes <laughs> right no I I totally agree and like so Atlanta is like one of the I guess I don't I guess homes of mega churches I'm a, whatever um <laughs> And there is this culture that I realize that we are not creating spaces in churches where people can rest. And when I say rest, yes, there is a physical component to that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But can people rest their spirits? Can people rest their minds? Mm-hmm. Or are we creating spaces where people are still, how we love them is still attached to their labor? Yeah. Like we need you to do all of these things and we're wearing you down as opposed yeah. to being a place of rest and and giving you the space to connect with Jesus in a way that gives that you part. <laughs> That gives you life and rest. Yes. Like it is this, and I'm with you. It is this uh, culture of, and no knock to people, but like, as soon as I see it, I'm like, oh my God, it's the machine. It's the formula. Like the lights are the It's the machine. Like the lights are the same. The pastors are all dressed the same. It's like, like, oh, so I, I hate to see people go to a place that should be a place that is feels restful because, mm-hmm. and that's, and I especially said that for black and brown folks, mm-hmm. because we live in a country, Come we on. live in a world where it is a feeling of always being unsafe or always being on yep. guard because yes. the things don't so when I come to a, what's supposed to be a safe space, yes. I want to rest. Yes. <laughs> Man, yes. I just want to exhale. Like, I just, yeah. But unfortunately, I think a lot of places, they're like you're saying, they're trying to mimic what they're seeing because I think they see success, quote unquote. Come on. It's, but <laughs> it's like, no, we just let me rest. That's all. Like, give me Jesus. Let me, <laughs> let me rest and let yes, me chill out. And Mariel, I remember being told that once. When I walked in a mega church, I remember being told, because I said, well, what makes this different from the little church that I grew up with, you know, with my 30 congregants and like us getting to know each other, going to Denny's every night? Like, <laughs> why, why is this different? You know, yes. and I remember being told um, by my very own, like, you know, well, this is a successful church. And I was like, where's huh? that where does that even get us though? And what, why, what does that even mean? Like, where are you getting, well, this is the pinnacle. This is the model, you know? And I'm like, okay, but like, how is like formation and how is liberation and how is knowing Jesus like, and walking with Jesus playing out and all of that, you yeah. know? So I just think, Liberation also invites tough questions. Also Ooh. invites. Say that again. I, was... <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, liberation invites tough questions. It does not condemn them. It does not judge, you know, um, it's not scared of them. And maybe some of us have been in, in too many places and um, around, you know, groups that have made us feel that way. And therefore restrict us. But if you are in a place that is for liberation, it will invite your questions and invite the fullness of who you are and who is asking those questions. Absolutely. I think liberation invites exploration. But you're able to explore. And like you say, I always say this, ask the hard questions, but you can also challenge those easy answers. Like, Mm. Like that was a little too easy. Let me challenge that. And nobody gets all upset. Like I remember being in a church where I didn't under, we were doing something and I just didn't understand it. And the person who was 
in the pastor's office, I guess, like his um, executive assistant or something to that degree. And I was like, well, I think we're going to have to pass on that because I don't think we have enough time. Oh, we don't tell pastor no. And I was like, oh, 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 I was like, so even if the pastor's wrong, nobody can say, no, that's not a good idea. Like nobody can say that. Oh, my goodness. So maybe also liberation is accountability and people being able to challenge. Yes, definitely. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Okay. So that was a very kind of jarring experience because I'm a person that's going to mm-hmm. ask questions. Like, and if okay. it does not make sense, honestly, I'm right. saying that's not making a lot of sense for me. <laughs> Can yeah, we unpack clarify. that? Clarify. Clarify, please. Right. <clears throat> and so we've created these structures where questions well, are not welcome. Because they are, they're trying to uphold power. They're trying to like, you know, uphold something, conceal something. And it's like, that. first of all, I'm going to get sorry. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble. But I'm like, no, that's but power. that's, that, that's, that's not real. power for yours to keep. And that's not power for yours to possess. That is, that was God in God period, you know? Yes. But, yes yeah. like oh so we even have systems of oppression in our church spaces that we have to uproot like we have to and yeah I think the other piece of this is because I think you kind of mentioned it earlier is even sometimes women will uphold systems that are oppressing them and and I especially see that in faith spaces a lot um yes we call them the gatekeepers of the patriarchy. That's what mm. they do. Like, okay, yeah, that's they a good one. <laughs> that's a good like, one. They protect it. And um, I was having a conversation with a friend and we were unpacking this just a little bit. And I was like, yeah, I said, if I'm being very honest in a lot of the church spaces that I've been in, when I've encountered patriarchy, it is mostly come from women. And that's so, it's so weird to me, but I also understand it. Um, Right, right. I think I was reading um, In My Grandmother's House by Dr. Yolanda Pierce. (gasps) And she she brings up a point that I don't think I ever considered before. And she was saying how legalistic um, a lot of her upbringing was. But she started to realize that this was the only way that they knew. And they passed that Mm. down to women to Mm -hmm. for them to survive Mm -hmm. and I don't think I ever really thought about legalism from a woman's perspective and in internalizing that as a form of survival because her grandmother and the mothers in the church knew what she was going to endure and Mm -hmm. have to encounter Um, yeah yeah, exactly and so Mm -hmm. not saying that it's Right, but I can understand it from a generational perspective. Like we're just giving you what we've been given so you can survive. Right. Now with us, I think we have the forewithal to try to knock down those barriers a little bit or even help women who are upholding that. Like you said, like you said earlier, that there's a Mm -hmm. different way. (laughs) Yes. Like there's a different way. So that leads to this question. Like how, how do you see, especially in the future, liberating all people, but also, but especially women, 
Like, yes. what, how do you project that for yourself? Like, how do you see yourself liberating women specifically, probably like in the future? And what does that look like for you? Oh, that's a good question. For our women, um, it, at least, again, as, as BIPOC, as, as people of color, like, it's, it's got to be one collective and two intergenerational. We have to be having these conversations with our grandmothers, with our aunts, with our mothers. Um, and one day we'll have it with our future daughters, you know, or nieces. Um, but for, for that, liberation is literally, I always have to keep that in mind. Um, that's, I think, what sets us apart, like, as brown and black women, um, women of color. I think, like, we bring them on the journey um, because, like you were sharing, and I love that you were sharing that, um, our, our ancestors and our, like, predecessors, women, like, they've had to take whatever was given to survive. They've had to take it with them. But, like, how freeing is it to, again, pave that new way and say, well, you don't have to do that anymore, mom. Like, you don't have to do that anymore. Like, you know, Thea and, you know, grandma, like that was just something that was limiting and going forward. Like we can enjoy, we can, we can enjoy who we are, how we look, how we dress. I mean, some, some of us have also been limited, like with uh, using nail polish or doing our nails, putting jewelry, you know, makeup. So what does it even look like to like take our mothers and our grandmothers or, you know, women in our community for a makeover, like, or just to engage in, like, some sort of spa day. Um, what does it mean to also tell them this in the face of being exhausted and burnt out or, uh, you know, from work and, you know, just told their bodies are just used just for producing work, 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 work. But no. Um, so that's kind of how I see it, I think, intergenerationally. Um, and then right now, future-wise, is continuing to remind that, I think, in, in my own generation and, and also uh, for our future, um, you know, like women. I think it's also continuing just to remind that, like, this is a collective thing and this is for, for everybody in mind, not just myself. Yeah. And liberation is a team effort. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, it is... Literally, if I get free, but you don't, yes, that's not liberation for me. Like, I want all of us to be free. So, I love that you mentioned intergenerationally because yeah. being able to even help illuminate that for our moms or you know, our grandparents, our grandmothers specifically, um, is I don't know, that just feels so beautiful to me. Like, mm-hmm. They did it in survival, yeah. but for them to be able to experience some form of freedom, like, and, mm-hmm. and, and be completely in love with who they are and yes. like, oh my gosh, like that really makes me teary Cause I just think about, you know, I wish that, so my great grandmother, she lived to be 101. 
and mm. she died several several years ago but <clears throat> she, I was like in my wow. early 20s and mm-hmm. just hearing her story um she survived Jim Crow she survived yeah. the Great Depression wars um civil rights and like she lived through all of that she was the help right so she mm. cleaned white people's mm. homes she told me a story about how she discovered one day that she worked for um, the grand wizard of the KKK <laughs> and mm-hmm. he was cleaning his room and she My opened name. the drawer and saw, right. <clears throat> and even though she consistently had to a lot of times shrink herself, mm-hmm. but to me, she was like one of the most powerful women, right? Like, wow. and I think about her a lot now and I'm like, I wish that she was still here so we could have these type of conversations and mm-hmm. that she could experience possibly a freedom that she could not experience, like growing up, you know, and being a single mom <laughs> and trying mm-hmm. her best to feed her daughter. But while she went hungry and not having, oh. you know what I'm saying? And so, and then she, so she was like an evangelist and like all of these wow. things in the church and though they gave her some honor, it wasn't to me the honor that was worth it. You know, and so that's so powerful to me that if our moms, if our grandparents, our grandmothers, our great grandmothers, they're still here to be able to to talk about freedom and liberation and them having reclaiming some of that for themselves. Yes. And it's even beautiful seeing like some of our our ancestors also um say I'm not going to engage in this like I'm not going to do engage in the system that is also like the liberation set up for the generations to come I have heard of of friends telling you know stories of how their mothers or their aunts may have married a very machista patriarchal man (laughs) and Mm -hmm. and then and and finding out after living with them they're like oh no this is not gonna go by me (laughs) like (laughs) (laughs) I love it (laughs) And the daughters kind of learn like that model through through the mom and, and just our matriarchs as well, things like this. So I think that's also like setting it up. Um, but again, it's all about like creating a new way forward. So um, it is it is beautiful to see. And, and it's always a, a lifelong like learning journey because you'll you'll hear things in engaging in conversations. Um, right. With our moms and. And with our grandmas, and you're hearing things, and you'll you'll want to lead them into questioning. Like, you don't have to be that way anymore. Um, yeah. You know, you your your body can matter. Your body can rest. Um, your body is not meant to serve or cater to a man and yeah. things like this. Yeah, I love it. So, what are some lasting thoughts that you want to leave with people around liberation? Um, do you have any lasting thoughts or things that you want to reemphasize? I think maybe just reemphasizing um, that, and and we're we're about we're about like I think one day right before Women's uh, International Day here yes. on the recording, um, but again reemphasizing that liberation is communal, intergenerational. And feeling simply like wholly comfortable in our own skin and having the freedom to like feel that way. 
Yes. I received all of that. <laughs> what are some ways that people can get in touch with you to learn more about the work that you do? How can people support you? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter or Instagram with the same handle. It's Heidi, H-E-I-D-I-E-L-E-P-E. Let's go. Yeah, that whole thing together. Um, that's probably the best way. And then from there, they can see some of the work I do in the project. I love it. Yeah. Heidi, thank you for being on the podcast and just spending a few minutes as we kind of unpack liberation and how that's showing up in the work that you do. Um, I am super grateful that, you know, you took time out. For us oh, no, this is amazing. Like, uh, you got me thinking about more now liberation. <laughs> I think we're just like living through it, you know, making our own way. Listen, <laughs> and day like, by day. Yes. Like, it's like you, you got me to sit down and talk about it. So I'm just honored. But thank you again for this opportunity. Absolutely. It was such a pleasure having you on.